we started, it was just science fiction. But we dreamed, we planned, we built. Though we could not see, we plunged through the dark and took that spark of a dream and put it to the test. We stepped out into the unknown. We didn't know. We only chose to believe. Hey, Cornerstone. How we doing? Man, it's good, it's good to be with you today. We're on the second week of a series that we've entitled Hard to Believe. And let's just be honest, as Christians, uh, there's some stuff that you and I believe that's kind of hard to believe. I mean, whales that swallow men and they stay alive for three days and the Red Sea parting and people driving across chariots and driving. I mean, there's dead people coming to life. There's stuff that's hard to believe and yet we've said uh, you and I need to have the intellectual capacity just, just take a look and say, is it reasonable to believe even some of the things that are hard to believe about our faith? And last week, uh, we had a discussion about Scripture. Uh, is, it, is it reasonable to believe that Scripture is God-breathed and that it's inerrant and without mistakes? And uh, if you're someone that maybe says, man, I'm still struggling with that or I hadn't heard that and you weren't here last week, you may want to go online and take a look at it. I think we moved a long way in that conversation last week together. This week we're going to talk about how do people actually get to heaven? Uh, how does that actually happen? Because you realize that even within Christian circles, there's conversation about this. There's different camps on this. You've got one camp that's the Jesus-only camp that would say, look, the only way that people make it to heaven is they have to believe on Jesus. If they believe in anything else other than that, then they can't go to heaven. It's the Jesus-only group. And then you've got another group of people who say, look, look, you don't understand. God is a God of love and mercy. He's, he's going to let people, as long as they're sincere, as long as they have a true, genuine concern for Him and want to know Him and, and, and they do good things, He's going to be all right. He's going to go, hey, I get it. You didn't figure it all out. You didn't understand it all, but I'm not going to send you to hell because you didn't figure it all out. You realize that these two groups could not be further apart. I mean, what they're discussing is completely different. And this is a big deal because if the Jesus-only camp is right, then it's like being trapped in a room, in a prison, so to speak, and there's only one door to get out. And they're actually being helpful because they're helping people find the one door. And if they don't do that, then they're actually leaving people trapped in prison, whether they realize it or not. But if the Jesus-only people are wrong, then it, all of a sudden, you and I come across as being hyper-judgmental. I mean, how narrow-minded of us as Christians to sit there and say, we are the only ones who have the right way, who understand this, and everybody else is mistaken and doing it the wrong way. And, and it has the ability for people to just go, I, I don't think I even want to have anything to do with Christianity because I don't think I want to be around a God who's that narrow. If they're wrong. Uh, you've got the people that say, no, it's, it, look, God is understanding and it's okay. You know, it's, it's kind of like a mountain 
And as long as you're heading toward God, it doesn't matter specifically what you believe. You just have to kind of believe there is a God and be working in whatever way you are, whether that's through Hinduism or whatever, just to find… And God's going to get it. God's going to understand because God's a God of love and grace. If they're right, then suddenly Christianity becomes much more accommodating. We get to put our arms around others and say, hey, it's, it's all right, and we may not see this eye to eye, but it's okay because we're all heading toward the same God and good for us. If they're wrong, then really, really good people are mistakenly going to hell. This, this couldn't be a bigger divide. This couldn't be a bigger rift in the conversation. And I'm going to suggest that the most untenable spot to be in is a position where you go, I haven't made up my mind, I don't know. Because if you try to play the card neutral, then what you're doing is you're allowing the Jesus-only people to tick a lot of people off and to make Christianity look really judgmental in our world, and you're not doing anything about it. Or uh, there are people who are living really good lives, religious lives, but they're going to hell on your watch because you haven't figured out that there's only one way. So the one place you can't be is somewhere in the middle. And so you and I are just going to take the time today and go, look, I know, I know, I know. I know some of this stuff is hard to believe and hard to… But what does the Bible actually say and where do we land? How do we land on this particular topic? So grab your Bibles. Uh, go with me to Romans chapter 6. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, uh, you're going to find this passage, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Now, here's, here's my best guess. My best guess in the room is, is, that, is that nobody in this room is going to go, Lynn, look, uh, I, I've never sinned. I, I, I've never done anything wrong. I've never broken any of the commandments. I, I mean, I'm, me and Mother Teresa, we're perfect. We're, we're good, and we, we got this thing. I, none of us is going to say that, right? All of us are going to go, no, I, no Lynn, I, you know, I got to, you know, I have. You know, there were moments, you know, the neighbor drove up with a new car, and I went, dude, why does he get that car? And I coveted. Uh, there, there were moments that I was sitting with my girlfriends, and we were talking, and it kind of went gossipy, and, and I knew, I mean, something checked my heart in the moment, because I had a really lascivious piece of info, and I went, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it. Yeah. There, there was that moment I was in a fight, and, and it got to that heated moment of anger, and I knew, I knew exactly what to say to wound the other person, and in that moment, I intentionally chose to say those hurtful words so I could win the argument, and we, we, we'd all just go, look. You know, I, I get it. I'm not pretending that I've never done anything wrong. I mean, I get it. The question is, what happened when I did the wrong thing? And here's where I think most of us miss the conversation, is that when you and I sinned, when we made that decision to do exactly what we knew we shouldn't do, we don't realize that in that moment something broke. Something was hemorrhaged when we made that decision. So here we go. It's uh, Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 23. Here's what it says. You ready? For the wages, and that's kind of an unfortunate word because you and I don't use that word a lot, the paycheck, the compensation, the earnings. The earnings of sin is death. Now here's what you need to know. That's not just talking about physical death, because in the moment that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, for the first time in this world, physical death came into existence. People didn't die before that. But in that moment, sin brought death. 
But here it's talking about something that I think is even more profound. It's not just physical death. It's spiritual death. It's saying in this moment that when you and I made that decision to do the thing that we knew we should have done, something broke, and the thing that broke was our relationship with God. That relationship died. Here's the best I can explain that. Imagine that you've got a teenager, and all through, from the time they turn 13, it's a fight. It's just a fight upon a fight upon a fight upon a fight, and then uh, they get of age, so they're 18, and they come to you and they just say, I'm gone. I hate living in this home. I hate the rules. I, I, I hate everything about it, and I'm gone. And they literally take off. They move as far away from you as they possibly can with the intention of doing everything that you've ever asked them not to do, and they refuse to have any more contact with you. And in that moment, that relationship experiences a death. And I'm going to say to you, I think maybe in some ways, a death that is more painful than physical death. Because at least in physical death, the person who died to you probably didn't choose death. But in this case, every single day, they're choosing to stay broken, dead from you. Spiritual, relational death. And Scripture says that in the moment you and I sinned, our lives hemorrhaged and we died in the ability to have a relationship with God. And then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe this, maybe this helps in the conversation. Imagine for a moment that you've got a 16-year-old son. They just came of age, just started driving their car, and they come to you one evening and they say to you, hey, can I borrow the keys to the new car? Now, right there, the conversation's going the wrong direction, right? The keys to the new car. And you go, well, you know, I'm not sure. And they go, no, no, here's the deal. I'm going on a date with my girlfriend, and I just, I just want to impress her. And so could I, could I please, please, please borrow the keys to the new car? And so here it is two or three nights later, and with trembling hands, you hand the keys over, and, and you, do, you do the parent talk, you do the 14 things, you know, you're not going to play the radio loud, you're, you're not, you know, all the things, right, because you're going to be safe. At the end of the evening, your son comes back with the car, and it's got all sorts of damage on it. And you go, oh my, were you in a, an accident? What, what happened? They go, no, I wasn't in an accident. You go, how did that happen? If you weren't in an accident, how did all that damage happen to the front of the car? He says, I did it on purpose. You go, what? He goes, no, I, 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 we went on the date. We were sitting in front of my girlfriend's house. And uh, as we were saying all this, and she broke up with me. And I waited till she walked in, and I was just so angry in that moment. I just thought, man, I got to do something to get even. And then I looked, and I saw it. I mean, the perfect opportunity. Her dad had like one of those brick, you know, kind of pillory things with the mailbox on top at the front of the yard. And I just said, that's it. And I went right through it. It was great. It was great. It was so fun. And you're going, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute, son. You borrowed my car. You got mad at your girlfriend. You drove intentionally into her father's mailbox, crushed that, caused all sorts of damage to my car, and you did that on purpose. And he goes, yeah. How, how, many, how many parents in there go, there's a problem with that story? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. 
So all of you that are not raising your hands are horrible parents. I'm just telling you right now. There is a problem. I, everybody in Santan, when I told that story, was going, that's a pro that boy's in trouble. I'm just telling you, there's a problem with that story. That, that you would borrow a car, intentionally damage that car, and then bring it back. That's a problem. You ready for this? You and I. You and I are the son in the story. Your life is a borrowed car. It is not your life. Your heavenly father gave that to you and loaned it to you, but it does not belong to you. And then you and I intentionally decided, hey, I'm not going to do what honors my father. I'm going to sin. Because let's be honest, in that moment, sin didn't sneak up and tackle you from behind. You went, no, 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 no. I know, I know I'm on the internet and I shouldn't click into that site, but you did it anyways. No, 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 no. I, I, I know, I know I shouldn't be lying right now, but I'm going to be in trouble if I don't lie. And you chose to, so we intentionally caused the damage. And here's the part you got to get. Fixing that is expensive. Fixing that has a big price tag on it. Now, if you're a parent like me, here's, here's what you do next. You go, okay, all right, dude. <laughs> you're paying for it. You're paying for it. I, here, you know, we used to say, hey, if you got good grades, you didn't have to have a job because you were going to get scholarship. No more. You are going to McDonald's tomorrow. Tomorrow. And every one of your paychecks, you're signing over to me till you repair the car. You are fixing that. Grab your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 64. If you're not familiar with where that is, just go to the center of your Bible. Start working to the right. You're going to find this book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64. Verse 6. Here's what it says. All of us, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, all the good things we do, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. And you, and you whoa, whoa, don't miss it. You realize that what God just said here is, in this moment, your best actions, your best behavior, your kindest things that you do are like filthy rags before the Lord, which is a problem because, because, because. When you talk to your friends, when you talk to your name, when you talk to your family members, and you say to them, hey, uh, are you going to heaven? They go, well, sure, I'm going to heaven. Because I'm a, okay, it's not a trick question. I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. And yet scripture just said, your best actions, your best deeds are like filthy rags, dirty rags. Your, your best 
Ladies, you ought to get this. This ought to be so easy for you because you've seen this moment. You, you've, got, you've got a rag that you keep there in the kitchen, right? And you use it to wipe up stuff. So you got the dirt, the, the, the little uh, tub out of the refrigerator and the food was all spoiled in it and you ran water and then you took the rag and cut the rest out. Nasty rag. Uh, so the kids spilled something on the floor and so now you're mopping up the floor with all the grunge and you didn't realize the crack between the tile and the, it was that dirty, but you kind of cleaned it up. And so now you set the rag on the middle of your sink and you're sitting there, you're waiting for it to dry a little bit so you can take it to the washroom. Your husband comes into the kitchen, he spills something on the counter, and guess what he reaches for? Filthy rag. And he starts wiping the counter. And you come around the corner and go, what? It's a filthy rag. God just said, you're in my best shot, our best deeds. Filthy rags. Let me ask you a question. How many filthy rags do you have to have to make one clean rag? You, you go, what do you, it doesn't work that way, Lynn. You know, not like 10 filthy rags makes one clean. Well, no, you're right. So how many good deeds do you have to have to cover up one sin? It doesn't work that way. See, somewhere in our minds, we've got this idea that, that it's kind of like a scale. And, and if, if you do more good things than you do bad things, then somehow you're okay. And God says, oh, wow, pretty good guy. Let's do it. Let me ask you, how, how much do good things weigh? How much do bad things weigh? What if good things are feathers? And what if bad things are lead? How many good things do you have to do to overcome one bad thing? And you realize what Scripture is saying in this moment is. There's no way. You, 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 you are completely incapable of paying for the damage. There aren't enough good things that fix that. I'm seven years old, and I'm living in what you would probably call Central Phoenix now. Uh, and when I'm a kid, we have this amazing thing behind our houses called an alley. And anybody here remember alleys? Okay, you're old. Okay, but I am too. So, but I'm, here's here's the thing: all you youngins don't know, alleys were amazing. Here's what you did in an alley. You would take your garbage and put it in a can at the back of your house. A man would come by in a truck. He would stop at your house. He would pick up your can for you and physically put it in the truck for you and then put your can back down. It was an alley. It was remarkable. And so here I am. I'm a kid. I'm seven years old. I'm walking down our alley one day, and they had brought a grader through. I'm guessing they did that to try to knock down the weeds or whatever in the alley. So they've graded the alley. Here's the really cool part. As they brought the grader through, they made huge dirt clods. Now, guys, I'm just telling you, if you're a boy and you're seven, dirt clods are heaven. This is a godsend. And so I'm in the alley, and I'm picking up dirt clods, and I'm hitting people's trash cans. Shh, you know, don't tell. And I'm, you know, I'm throwing them at cats and whatever, you know, whatever seven-year-olds do. But here was the best part. Here was the, here was the greatest moment. I look through the slats of my neighbor's yard, and in their yard is the most beautiful, pristine pool you've ever seen in your lives. And I go, God has provided. This is so amazing. I mean, what more could you want? And so I begin to pick up in ever-increasingly large dirt clods, and I am hucking them over my neighbor's fence, and then, oh, it was so wonderful. 
It was like I was reliving World War II right there in my eye. It was just amazing. All the way till I got home. I'm sitting at my house and suddenly the doorbell rings. My dad goes to the door. The next thing I hear is, learn! And you know that voice, right? That voice just says, you are about to die, right? <laughs> and I go, to the, I go to the door and my neighbor, my neighbor is standing there at the door with a dirt clod in his hand. And he begins to tell my dad, we just spent thousands of dollars reconditioning our pool and we hadn't even got a chance to swim in it yet and your son and I know it was your son because I saw him <laughs> hucked these in I think about it for a moment I'm seven how do I fix that I, I, I have no idea how to go back and recondition this pool I have no idea how to drain it and clean. I have no, I can't. It's completely beyond my capacity. I don't have a job. How am I going to pay for it? How do I fix what I just broke? And the answer is I can't, which is exactly what Scripture is saying to you and me. What you broke, what we broke, you have no capacity to fix. Imagine this. What if I had said to my dad in that moment, look, 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 dad, I'm so sorry for throwing there. I'll be good from now on. Would me being good have fixed anything? What do you do? What do you do if you're a dad? You're a mom. And now your kid's done something that is just beyond their ability to repair. There's, there's, no, there's nothing they can do. They can't be good enough. You could lock them in their room the rest of their lives. Uh, you could give them a new last name and disown them. You could forgive them. But here's the problem with forgiveness. If you forgive them, who pays for the car? See, if, 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 if I forgive what my son did, who pays for that? See, I, I think we get this really weird idea, and we go, oh, you know God, he's just kind of this really nice Santa Claus guy, and you know when you do that, he just goes, oh, it doesn't matter, everybody else does it. Guys, forgiveness is not cheap, and if God chooses to forgive us, someone has to pay for the damage we caused, it's the cross. It's the cross. You realize Jesus dying on the cross is the payment for what you and I, the damage you and I did. And you go, well, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. Because Jesus is worth more than us. Because the Son of God is worth more than every human being who has ever lived, every human being who is going to live, and the price he pays on the cross pays for you and me tenfold for whatever harm and whatever hurt and whatever damage we've done that you and I were completely incapable of paying for ourselves. Grab your Bibles. It's Colossians chapter 2. So if you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, start working to the left, you're going to find Colossians. 
1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Here's what it says about the cross. You ready? When you were dead, same phrase. When you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. See, this wasn't a scale. This was life and death. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge, the legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. You ready? Nailing it to the cross. Guys, think about about this for a second. If people go to heaven being good, if you can be good enough for heaven, then explain to me the cross. Why would God be so cruel to say, hey, look, Jesus, look, here's the deal. People get to go to heaven if they're good. You know, if they go to church enough times, if they help enough little old ladies across the street, they get to go to heaven. But I was just thinking, going to the cross would be kind of fun, so let's try that. Why is the cross there if you and I can get there by simply being good people? The cross is there because you and I broke something that we could not possibly fix ourselves, and the only chance to repair the damage that we had done is if Jesus did it for us, period. And guys, here's the deal. No other religion has a cross. Muslims don't have a cross. Buddhists don't have a cross. Hindus don't have a cross. Which means they are completely incapable of repairing what is broken. Guys, as a matter of fact, every man-made religion, every man-made religion says to you and me, do our rules, do this set of things so you can be good enough for heaven. Man-made religion is always about doing. You realize Christianity is about what was done, not about doing. Which means, are you ready for this? There's one way. There's one way, and it starts at the foot of a cross. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 3. So if you closed your Bibles, go to, just start from the back and start thumbing to the left, John chapter 3. Matter of fact, this is probably the most popular verse in the Bible. My guess is every person in this room has heard this verse. Uh, you just may never have really thought about it in this context before. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. I'll tell you what, let's start a verse early. Let's start at verse 15. Here's what it says. You ready? John chapter 3, verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in, next word, him, talking about Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not an angel named Moroni who came to mess up the God. No, in him. And a matter of fact, that term there, believe, you seem to understand, that, that's not a casual belief. That's not a, oh, I like Santa Claus and Bunny Rabbit. That's not a casual belief. This is a I'm willing to bet my life on it belief. I'm trusting in a Savior to save me and not my good deeds to save me. Let me see if this helps. 
So a couple years ago, we were doing a sermon series, and, and one of the sermons in the series was on risk. It was this idea that said, look, anytime you follow God, you're going to end up risking something. You, it, it just the way it works. And so we're in this brainstorming session with the staff, and one of the staff members looks at me and says, Lynn, how cool would it be if you did something risky, we could film it, and then we would like show it the Sunday that you're talking about risk. I mean, it would just be great. And I'm going, well, what, do you, what are you thinking of? And he goes, I don't know. What, what about like parachuting out of an airplane? And I'm like, are we paying you to come up with these ideas? What? What? Three days later, I'm standing in the doorway of an airplane, 13,000 feet in the air. Now, here's what you need to know. I had always believed in parachutes. I'd seen parachutes on TV. I'd seen parachutes coming down with other people on them. But in this moment, as I stood in that doorway on the airplane, I was being asked to believe in parachutes. And I will tell you that as I stepped out of that door, I exercised my belief. That's what Scripture's saying. Not that you think it works for others, not that you think it's a neat idea, no, 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 no. Have you jumped out of the plane with Jesus? Belief. that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Here's what I think is interesting. That passage doesn't say, hey, if you believe in a higher being, if, if you just think there's a benevolent someone out there, and it doesn't say this is believing in God. It says it's believing in Jesus and what he did at the cross, which means there aren't a bunch of ways there. There's one way. And you go, well, all right, all right, all right, all right. Go with me to John chapter 14, because this is what Jesus said about this very same topic. It's going to be a little bit to the right in your Bible. John chapter 14. It's verse 6. Here's what Jesus said. You ready? I am the way. Not one of multiple options, not a multiple choice quiz. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus. And I know, I know some of us are going to crud. That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. That's exactly what I hoped uh, you wouldn't get to. It just feels so narrow-minded and so judgmental to say that you and I as Christians are the only ones who have figured this out. I just, it bothers me. Some of you would know that uh, we, we do a lot of missions work over uh, in Africa. We, we've got a children's home called Haruma Children's Home Mama Sapora. And Lisa goes over there, my wife, all the time. And on one of the trips when she was there, she just fell in love with one of the little girls in the home. And she came back, she said, Lynn, we're, we got to adopt Sylvia. We, we just have to do it. So we did. We adopted Sylvia. Sylvia ended up marrying one of the boys from the home. Uh, and then they had a, a little girl. They had Catalina. So that ended up being our first grandchild. 
And so it's just been the joy of our lives to have them in our, in our lives. And uh, just a while back, we brought them here for Christmas. And so here was Sylvia here, and Catalina was here. One day, Lisa and I are coming home from work. As we come in the door, Sylvia meets us at the door, and she says, um, Catalina was drawing today. I said, well, that's really great. I mean, that's probably good for her. It kind of stretches her imagination. You know, maybe I'll frame one of the pictures. Sylvia says, you don't understand. Sylvia was drawing today on the patio door. So sure enough, uh, the patio door going out from our house onto the patio, kind of a, a French door, and, and she, she had decided to decor uh, Papa and Gigi's house and had just drawn all over the door. Uh, you know, pretty cute little things, uh, you know, for everyone to see. And uh, so we decided, well, we got to, you know, get this done. So we started grabbing every cleaner that we had in the house. And uh, we, we were grabbing stuff like 409 and going to it and nothing was happening. And we, we were grabbing, you know, simply green stuff and putting it on and nothing was happening. And, uh, and then we got real, you know, we got the Agent Orange stuff and put it on and nothing was happening on the deal. And, and now we're going, okay, we're, we're like going to have our door in the wall, like just, you know, forever. And finally, someone uh, heard about it, called us up and said, hey, you know how to get rid of a uh, permanent marker, right? And I go, no, we don't. And they go, it's Comet. And I went, well, it can't be Comet. You realize how old-fashioned Comet is? I don't think I've had Comet in my house, like in forever, right? And they're going, no, I'm just telling you the truth. It's Comet. That's, that Comet will work. I'm going, I don't even have Comet. I'd have to go down to the store, buy some Comet, bring some Comet back, and my wife's looking at me like, you know, and I go, all right. And so I drive down the store, and uh, I end up buying a can of Comet and uh, come back to the house. And you want to hear something remarkable about Comet? Uh, Comet uh, actually removes a permanent marker. Isn't that amazing? Let me ask you a question. If I tell something, if I tell someone that there's only one thing that actually works, and it is the only thing that works, am I being judgmental or am I being helpful? So what does that mean for us? There are some of us in the room. You've got friends, and you've got neighbors, and you've got relatives, and their doors are messy. And there's one thing that works. It's Jesus. And in that moment when they're trying to clean the door, in that moment when they say to you, hey, look, I've, I've tried religion, and I've tried being a good, and I'm just telling you there's something empty in my heart, and it just, well, you and I have the courage in that moment to say, no, I, I get it. I get that you're going to think I'm narrow-minded right now. I'm, I'm going to, I get that you're going to think that I, you know, I'm a little arrogant for thinking I, I know this answer, but I'm just telling you, comment, comment, Jesus, 
Jesus takes permanent marker off. And will you and I have the courage? Will you and I right now steal our hearts to say, when that moment comes, I'll tell them one way. One way. There's some of us in this room and just having this conversation right now and, and you're saying, wow. You know, Lynn, for the first time it clicked. Because <laughs> I, I think I've been that religious person I think I've been trying to be that good person, and deep down, deep down, I knew something wasn't working, that, that there, there was something that needed repair, and it wasn't being repaired. And I get it now. I, I've never actually believed. I've never jumped out of a plane with Jesus. I've never put my faith in Him like that. I, I've been a distant disciple and not a true believer. Anyone hear the really cool part about this? A prayer changes it. Just a prayer. Just a prayer where you simply say, hey, I'm ready, Jesus, to believe. I'm ready to believe that you're the way. And so here's what I want us to do. I just want us to bow our heads. I'm going to pray a real simple prayer for us right now. If you need to pray, then you're just going to pray that prayer along with me. So with every head bowed, everybody's eyes closed, here's what I'm asking. If you're in this room right now and you say, you know what, Lynn? I need to be praying that prayer with you in a minute. I know that prayer is for me. I want you just, with everyone not looking, I want you to raise your hand and say, Lynn, I'm going to pray that prayer with you in a minute. Okay, man, all over this room, people are saying, I'm going to pray that prayer with you. Okay, all right. Let's pray. Here's what it would be. Dear Lord Jesus, I get it. I get that in that moment when I did what I wanted to do and exactly what you didn't want me to do, something broke. There was damage to our relationship. And that damage was something that I have no way to fix. I can't be good enough. I can't be religious enough. But a cross fixes it. So I'm coming to you right now and saying, would you forgive me even though it cost you your life to give me that forgiveness. Because I'm telling you, I believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I don't do this very often. I'm gonna ask you to do it today. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm gonna ask you to make a statement that this is, hey, I, I came here on the wrong side of life and now I'm on the right side of this. And I'm going to ask you to make that statement by standing. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if you prayed with me, will you stand right where you're at? Just say, hey, I'm declaring, I believe. All right. That's pretty cool, huh? Good. Good for you guys. All right. So I, I want the rest of us to stand, right? Because this is the church. And, and if, and, and, we're in this together. See, none of, none of us follows God by, we're, we're together in this on the deal. So here's what I'm gonna ask. If you prayed that prayer, if you stood just a moment ago, uh, in the seat back right in front of you, there's a card that looks just like this, says, I said yes to God, which is exactly what you did. I'm gonna ask you, don't, don't, don't leave without, there's like three lines, fill it out. And then, so that we know, because here's the deal, we wanna help you take next steps. We, it, this isn't one and done. This is now let's follow Jesus. So when you leave, if you hit the information booth, you just drop it. Don't say a word. You don't have to have a comment. Just drop it on the information booth so we know. 
and we can help direct you. Or if it's easier, just come put it on the platform. I don't care. Just put it up here on the platform. Whatever's easiest, but don't leave without filling that out and letting us know you made that decision. And the rest of us, if it's that fun to see someone ask Jesus in their heart here, how fun would it be if you told a friend? Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, and thank you. Thank you that there is a way. I mean, we, we messed this up. You could have just said, hey, it's on you. And yet you chose instead to forgive us, knowing that forgiving us meant that you'd have to pay for us. So thank you that there is a way. God, give us the courage to say it out loud. Give us the courage when those we love are struggling to say, you know, there's something that cleans doors. There's something that repairs fenders. There's something that takes brokenness and death and turns it into life. And his name is Jesus. He is the way. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.